anyway, take your Bibles, if you would, please, open it to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And um, I am looking forward to hearing Brother Getch preach. I haven't uh, heard him preach in, in quite some time. I have known him. I don't, we don't know if you realize this, Brother Getch, but uh, I started going and uh, working at Camp Joy in 1997. And that's when I first met you and heard you. So I've known him longer than I've known you, Tim. I like him better. No, I'm just kidding. I like you both the same. I just uh, Anyway, I, I, I'm just glad that he's here. I'm looking forward to what the Lord is going to do in him and, and everything. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that this is uh, Northern California, Southern Oregon, Nevada, with a couple drops of Southern Cal. Right, brother? Amen. Right there. And uh, maybe we'll get some more Southern California guys coming up this way. But anyhow, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, number 1, if you would please, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's word. We will look at verse number 17 and 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. The Bible says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's bow our heads and ask God to bless this message tonight. With thankful hearts, we come before you right now, Lord God, for who you are. You are the great I am, the great creator, our eternal savior, the king of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, how we have been so full of your Holy Spirit's working tonight. Even through the messages this afternoon, Lord, my cup runs over. I pray, dear God, that you don't stop. I ask that this message will not just be mere information, though there will be information. But more importantly, that there will be transformation transformation of our hearts and our minds and our spirit and soul so that we have the confirmation into the image of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, open thou our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we give you the glory and praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. One doesn't have to look far or very wide to see how far people have turned from God. America is in desperate need. There have been many voices in our country to try to change the condition of man. Many protests and marches, and marches have been voiced in attempts to change people's lives. Of all the beliefs and ideologies that we've seen and heard... Dare I say, and yes, I will say, there's only one message that has the power to truly change lives. And that message is the message of the cross. It's not the cross that hangs around someone's neck on a wall uh, or on on a crucifix or one that hangs on a wall or one that's embossed on our Bibles. But I'm speaking of the cross of Jesus Christ. In this passage, we find in verse number 18, it says, for the preaching of the cross. That word preaching is an interesting word. 
There are several Greek words that are translated preach or preaching in the New Testament. There is keruso, which means to herald, publish, proclaim openly. And we find that in Matthew 4, verse number 17, where Jesus began to preach. There's also euangelizo, which means to bring good news, Matthew chapter 11, verse number 5. Then there's laleo, which means to utter a, a, a voice or to speak, Mark chapter 2, verse number 2. Also, diangelo, uh, uh, diangelo, excuse me, to carry a message, announce everywhere. And we find that in Luke chapter 9, verse 60. There, then there's katangelo, uh, which is to announce, declare, or make known, Acts chapter 4, uh, verse number 2. And then we have plerao, which is to cause to be known fully everywhere, Acts 15, verse number 19. However, in this passage, it's something very interesting. In verse number 21, if you drop your eyes down there for a moment, it says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That word there is kerugma, which is a form of keruso, which means to proclaim. But the word in verse number 18 where it says, for the preaching of the word is not any of those, or not even a form of any of those, but rather it's the word logos. For the, pre, uh, the, the logos of the cross. And that word speaks of the message or the discourse or the concept of the cross. Now, that word cross in its usage is a literary term which is known as a synecdoche. A synecdoche is a literary term which is a part that is made to represent the whole. So what this, this is basically teaching is this. The cross represents all that encompasses the gospel of Jesus Christ. The suffering, substitutionary sacrifice, satisfying of the wrath of God imputation, divinity of Christ, death, burial, resurrection, the entire gamut. And this, my dear friends, is the most powerful message that will ever fall from the lips of man in the land in the e and to land in the ears of sinners. Today, I'd like to preach to you a message that I've entitled, The Powerful Message of the Cross of Christ. What makes this message so powerful? I am going to commit the speaker's cardinal well, sin, if you will, and give you how many points I have. I only have two points with 15 subpoints in each one. I'm just kidding. It's only 14. But anyway, actually, really, only two points. So what makes it so powerful? Number one, the message of the cross is powerful because it is confrontational. It is confrontational. It says there in verse number 18, for the preaching, the logos, the concept of the cross, the whole message of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. When we talk about the depth and the meaning of the cross, it becomes a confrontation. Why? Because the cross brings about the unpleasantness of what most people don't want to accept. To accept the truth about the cross and its depth and meaning to those without Christ, they're offended at it. And how do they feel about it? 
To them that perish, they think it's foolishness. And that word foolishness is moronic. The Greek word moros. It is moronic to them. The cross to the unsaved world is confrontationally moronic to them. And it is confrontational in several ways. Number one, it is an offensive confrontation. This cross is the most terrible form of execution ever devised by uh, the Romans for criminals. Now, Jesus was not a criminal, though some thought he was. He died innocently, but the Romans were the ones that devised this form of execution, and the cross confronts the source of all the evil in this world. It is offensive in its bloody reality. Beginning with the scourging, the Romans devised it to be cruel, gruesome, and grotesque, to inflict the most pain and inflict the longest form of agony upon criminals. A God who must shed blood as a payment for sin is offensive to most men. Some people would say, well, the Christianity you hold to is a slaughterhouse religion. Well, may I submit to them that Isaiah 53 says, as a lamb before her shears is dumb, yet he openeth not his mouth. He was a lamb to the slaughter. It is offensive because of its bloody, grotesque activity. Many would consider the cross of Jesus Christ a violent offense. It confronts man of what is ugly in life, and that ugliness is called sin. It is offensive in that it means judgment. And people don't like to think of judgment and condemnation. No one likes negative consequences for their actions. It's ugly. Today, pain and punishment for wrongdoing is offensive. Even in America, we're trying to do away with with, uh, uh, corporate punishment. Death row doesn't mean death row anymore. But that's what is required for sin. For the wages of sin is death. And that's the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And to the unsaved world, it is offensively confrontive. Verse number 18, that word says perish, which means destroyed or ruined. To them that perish, to them who are already destroyed, to them who are already ruined, people in the unsaved world do not want to hear their spiritual condition. But that's the whole reason for the cross. And they don't want to hear that. The cross directly confronts people of that and it offends them. It's like hearing from a doctor that you have a genetic hereditary heart disease and your condition is deteriorating. Your heart is in ruin. And no matter what the doctors do, you're still going to die. You don't know when, but you're still going to die. No one likes to hear that kind of confrontation. But a good doctor must present the most accurate diagnosis and inevitable prognosis. But to the prideful, sinful heart, the cross is offensive. People just don't want to hear about their sinful ways, and they, want, they don't want to change their sinful ways. Not only is it an offensive confrontation, but secondly, it is also an inclusive confrontation. By that, I mean it confronts everybody. 
Isaiah 53, verse number 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a confrontation that every one of us either has had already uh, faced or will have to face that we are sinners who deserve death. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This cross of Jesus powerfully and directly confronts the sinfulness of all men. We live in in dangerous times and in a dangerous world. The reason the world is dangerous is not because of weapons. It's not because of bombs. It's not because of terrorism. This world is dangerous because of the wickedness of the heart of man. This truth is offensive because man doesn't want to take responsibility for the wickedness of this world. It's because we as the human race are void of God in our lives. And it's not just the mass murderer, the drug addict and drug pusher or the pornographer or the prostitute that are void of God. We, every single one of us, at one time in our life, in our unsaved condition, we're all men with hearts full of pride, full of envy, lust, hate, and greed, and all other sinful things that can pull a trigger, spew hate and venom, destroy a character, and blow up a nation. Every single one of us were capable of doing that. And that's what, the, what makes this world dangerous. But we don't want to hear that. So many will turn to something else and seek a less offensive religion. However, with all the pain and hurt that comes from the wickedness that permeates the world, other religions will not bring any tangible healing. Therefore, sin must be confronted. Everyone will be confronted with sin, uh, about their sin. And you can face this confrontation of sin and judgment while you still have time, or you can wait until the great white throne judgment when it's too late. So, it's an offensive confrontation. It's an inclusive confrontation. And thirdly, there's also an exclusive confrontation. What do I mean by exclusive? What I mean by that is it confronts every other way to heaven that there's only one way, an exclusive way, for our sin to be dealt with. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. My dear friends, there are not many ways to heaven. There are not many roads that lead to heaven. Many people think that there are many ways of salvation, but the Bible makes it very clear in Proverbs 14, verse number 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's why the cross is offensive. People don't want God's way. They want it their own way. But there's an exclusive way to heaven. Only one way, and it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ. In reality, it isn't until we all say, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of the hurt. I'm tired of the misery. I'm tired of the guilt and turbulence in soul. That's when the power of the cross turns from not just being confrontational, but secondly, and here's my second point, it is a powerful message of comfort. It is a powerful message of comfort. 
Look in verse number 18 again. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, but it starts with a word of contrast. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. That's comforting. The the cross is a powerful message of comfort to the soul of mankind. Why? Because the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love. Do you realize everything, the synecdoche, all the stuff that happened that led up to the cross? Jesus Christ allowed himself to be taken there at the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter tried to keep that from happening. Tried to cut off the head of the high priest servant. I believe he tried to cut off the head. I don't think he was just like, okay, I'm going to go after that ear. I think he took that dagger out and he was swinging. And that high priest servant ducked and boom, his ear came flying off. And Jesus put that right back on because he knew what he had to do. He allowed himself to be taken there at the Garden of Gethsemane. He allowed himself to be taken, brought before a false court, mocked, beaten, spit upon. They took Jesus Christ and stripped him completely naked. They tied his hands with a rope, pulled that rope onto a, uh, over a ring, onto a post, and pulled it so that he was uh, stretched out completely and his back was exposed. Then these Roman torturers, the soldiers, took a device called the flagrum or flagellum, or some people will call it the cat of nine tails. It was a torture device that had nine strands of leather on it, and on these strands of leather, there were balls of lead that were embedded, that were uh, woven into it, and in these balls of lead were embedded pieces of sheep bone, glass, or nails. And when they would take that flagrum and wrap it around that person's back, it would come around and latch itself like fish hook. Anybody ever been caught by fish hook? Latch itself to the other side like fish hook, and they would rake it across that person's back, and one time it would bring about nine stripes. Just once. Now, according to Jewish law, a Jew was not allowed to be scourged more than 40 stripes. So what they would do is they would take a single whip and they would scourge him 13 times over on one side, 13 times over on the other side, and 13 times down the middle. What's 13 plus 13 plus 13? 39, one stripe short of the law. But Jesus Christ was not scourged according to the Jewish law. He was scourged according to the Roman law. And the Romans didn't care how many times they they whipped somebody. Jesus Christ was whipped over and over and over so that his back was so riveted that scholars would say it looked like you could see his, his uh, 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 internal organs from the backside. May I say to you, every drop of blood that fell from the back of Jesus Christ, he was saying, I love you. Your soul is precious to me. Then they took a robe, a purple robe, put it on his back. That robe soaked up the blood. They took some Judean thorns, long Judean thorns, wove them in a crown, placed it upon his head, and they took a reed and slammed that reed upon that crown of thorns, and it sliced upon his brow. 
and drops of blood came trickling down his beaten, dusty face. And every drop of blood that fell from the face of Jesus Christ, from the brow of Jesus Christ, he was saying, I love you. Your soul is precious to me. And then, after the mocking and the jeering and the beating, they made him carry a a cross piece a quarter mile down the Via Dolorosa to a place called Golgotha. You know this. And there they laid that cross piece down, stripped him completely naked again. When they took that robe and pulled it off his back, the blood had already begin, began to dry. So it was like pulling a scab and his back began to bleed all over again. Then they laid him down, took his hands, And nailed his hands to the cross. They took his feet and they nailed his feet to the cross. Raised that cross up and dropped it in a hole. And the weight of the cross and the weight of his body shook and shuddered. And every drop of blood that rained down upon man was saying, I love you. Every drop of blood that trickled down, that splintered old rugged cross. Jesus was saying, I love you. I love you. He loves us with an everlasting love. He's willing to forgive us of all our sins. And on that cross, God made Jesus to be sin for us. 2 Corinthians 5, um, 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Yes, he suffered brutally, physically, but that wasn't the real suffering. The real suffering that Jesus took on the cross was he being separated from God. He was forsaken so that you and I might be forgiven. He shed his blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. The blood shed on the cross of Calvary is the meeting place between God and man. And that's comforting, my dear friends. And while the cross is the ultimate display of the justice of God and the most horrific demonstration of the judgment of God, it is also the most profound expression of the love of God. The real purpose of Jesus Christ's coming was to die in our, our place. And the cross is comforting because of this. It is a message of redemption. Galatians chapter 3, verse number 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross is the full payment for us from the slave market of sin. We have received our spiritual freedom purchased by the ransom at the cross. All different people with different backgrounds, with various needs, are objects of God's mighty love to the point that he gave his only begotten mighty son, Jesus Christ, to die in their place. And that message of comfort is still powerful today. You can be comforted that you have been redeemed by the price of the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So it's a comforting message of redemption. Number two, it's a comforting message of reconciliation. Romans chapter 5, verse number 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Because of the cross of Jesus, the great obstacle separating God and man has been removed. And we are brought to an agreement, a state of union through Jesus Christ. And as we mentioned earlier this afternoon, Isaiah 40, verse number one, the warfare between God and man has ended. That's comforting. In Christ, an eternal truce between God and man has been declared. And so not only is it a comforting message of redemption and a comforting message of reconciliation, but it's also a comforting message of the removal of sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse number 5, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. When Jesus died on the cross, his shed blood cleansed all our sin for all those who would receive him to be their personal Savior. God knows the pain in your heart, and the cross has the power to remove that pain because that pain has already been placed upon Jesus Christ. Hallelujah for the cross. And because of what Christ did on that old rugged cross, you can rest assured that your sins, past, present, and future, has already been nailed there. What a comfort. What a comfort. So not only is it a comforting message of redemption, reconciliation, and removal of sin, but it is also a comforting message that brings a relationship between God and man. It brings a relationship between God and man. John chapter 1, verse number 12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, you can have a close relationship with God. Every single one of us. Hallelujah. We can walk with him. It is only through the cross that we have this friendship with God. John 15, verse number 13 says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know that verse? Do you know the next phrase in John uh, uh, 15, verse number 14? Jesus said, Ye are my friends. Ye are my friends. What comfort. The purpose behind the cross is to reconcile man to a relationship with God. What a comfort. And not only... Is the message of the cross a comforting message of redemption, reconciliation, removal of sin, and a relationship with God, but it's also a message of the regeneration of the heart of man. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17 tells us God, uh, 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 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. God makes us totally new people. The cross demands, it does not suggest, it demands a new lifestyle. This is called turning from sin, having a change of mind about your sin and turning from it. We know that word as repentance. The bloodshed on the cross of Christ offers a new life. The cross offers a forgiven life. The cross offers everlasting life. And hallelujah, the cross of Jesus Christ offers abundant life. Only if one comes in repentance and faith to the cross of Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 2, verse number 17 tells us, When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole need not, have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He will take the hard, stony heart away and replace it with a brand new one. Only through the cross can a broken life be made whole. There is a comforting power in the cross that you and I are in the work of God's hand and he will continue to mold us 
into his image. And then, lastly, it is a comforting message because it gives us a reason for living. It gives us a reason for living. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, we have a reason to live, my friend. We have a reason to get up in the morning. We can make an impact spiritually for someone in eternity. What a comfort. We have a reason to get up. We have a purpose in life, and that is to glory in the cross. Not to glory in ourselves, not to glory in man, not to glory in a pastor or a church, but to glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, with that being said, there's no other way of salvation except through the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no other life worth living except in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we come to the cross in humble repentance and receive him and just believe in him, then we can be saved from the wrath of God. And we have that joy unspeakable and full of glory. The joy that is found in contemplating the cross is not found in the shame, but in the sure promise that someday believers in Christ will exchange the labor of sanctification for the crown of life. One day, one day, and it will be worth it all. I want to close with this. One of my favorite songs ever. You know it. It goes like this. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross with the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross, so despised by the world, has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. Amen. To that old rugged cross... I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. Would you sing the chorus with me? So I'll cherish the old rugged Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a Hallelujah for the cross. Amen. My dear friends, never, 
ever lose sight of the cross. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you that we have a purpose. Thank you that we have a message. Thank you that we have comfort in the cross of Jesus Christ. And oh, dear God, may we never, ever lose sight of the cross of Jesus Christ. It is our reason for living. It is why we have eternal life, and we have that life more abundantly. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use this message to just work in our hearts, to draw us closer to the cross every single day. In Jesus' name I pray.